They didn't realize we were seeds. They didn't realize you were seeds. They open doors so others can walk through them. Your legacy is every life you have ever touched. I'm Stella Sagliari and this is Salt the Podcast. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. My guest today is Rochelda Kemper. Rochelda is a girl of 19 years old who is following her dreams. Everything in her life is about relaxation, positivity, and good energy. She grew up in a very nice and warm family. She has three little sisters, and she's very close with her family and relatives. At a young age, she was very quiet, and she felt things around her. She felt situations, energies, but she didn't do something with that. She thought it was nothing when you feel something that isn't right. But then, the last few years, she has been working on her personal self-development. She has increased her self-awareness. She has focused on rest, on self-care. And now she knows what she wants, who she wants in her circle, how important it is for her to focus on positivity and relaxed energy. And in today's podcast, she will share her story. And um, we will speak about boundaries, self-care, massages, relaxation, panic attacks, boundaries, the importance of boundaries. And Rochelle's goal with today's conversation is to inspire people to live their life as they want. Welcome, Sharissa. Welcome to Salt the Podcast. I'm very happy that you're here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Sharissa? Yeah, who am I? Well, um, I would say first and foremost, I'm a mom, but that's not completely true, is it? But lately, uh, motherhood has been uh, consuming my time the most, I think I would say. Um, so mother of three, three under five, three boys, and um, I work in media, a podcast, Topmooters, and I work with other media um, like the public, public radio and public TV. And I'm a writer. I write about dance uh, and I'd love to do some more creative writing, but uh, that's uh, something I hope to do in the future a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's a little bit about me. Right. Thank you. And of course, we will uh, find out more about you during this episode. You already said it, you're a mother, a mother of three, and I would like you to share with us how did motherhood come to you? How did motherhood find you? If you could share with us your journey. Yeah, um, to us, it was a very, um, a very conscious decision. I think we've had the whole, you know, socially acceptable picture. We both had steady jobs. We just had recently bought a house. And we were 27 at the time, my husband and I, which is fairly young, people would say. <laughs> But we've, we've been together since high school. Um, so we've known each other um, for over 16 years now. We've been together since we were 16. So it just felt right at that time. And so it was a very conscious decision. And like any other mother, you really don't know what you're signing up for. <laughs> so it was a very conscious decision, but it was definitely a... A journey going from carefree life to 
to having to take care of a little human being, being totally responsible for that. And I thought it was, I thought it was hard. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot more than I expected. And I must say our first, our first son was a fairly happy-go-lucky boy and uh, very flexible. And um, when you have one kid, you can still have, you still have that little bit of freedom, you know, especially if you have a partner, it's, um, it's a little easier to, to maintain a social life and, and things next to it. Um, when we had our second child, um, he, he was born with a, an illness. Um, he has trouble with his, uh, what do you call it, his stomach. And um, that really took a toll on me. And that definitely um, was definitely hard on both of us, but I was home with him mostly, especially in the beginning. So that was, that was definitely when motherhood like smacked me in the face <laughs> where I felt like, wow, I didn't, I never knew this was part of it. The, the worrying, so, so much worrying, scary, like scary thoughts. Like, will he, will he make it? Will, um, will I know in time that I should rush to the hospital right now or should I um and if I don't am I the one who's responsible you really become instead of a mother or maybe next to being a mother you're also a, a doctor and you're a, a nurse and that's a that's a big responsibility hmm. and um and along with him with his with all the pain and things that came with his disease it gave a lot uh, both of us this, uh, him and me and my husband, of course, sleepless nights. And that would mean like waking up every hour. And, um, you know, the whole combination that really took a toll on me. And um, I must say that with our third boy, who's now uh, almost seven months, everything has been uh, going a lot smoother. So I have really kind of, I've came a long way since that period. But it's been, if you're asking me how motherhood has been, how the journey has been, it's been bumpy up and down. <laughs> and, uh, and I believe you have some experience in that as well with your boy. Yes. Yes. Our first. Okay. First, I want to ask how your son is today. Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. Uh, thank you for asking. He's, um, he's doing okay. And um, to be a little more specific, he has the Siegte von Hirschsprung, the disease, Hirschsprung's disease. And that's a rare disease. And it basically means that he uh, could not poop by himself. So they had mm -hmm. to kind of operate on him for him to be able to do that. And, um, but every now and then he just, there's a relapse. So he has to go back to the hospital. They have to treat him. And for a few months, about the month or three, that means that he basically just poops all the time. <laughs> oh, okay. After the treatment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it kind of regulates after that. But so at this moment, we're in that period. So okay. he just hoops all the time, yeah. which means that it his everything hurts and he has a hard time sleeping. Um, so we're we're a little bit in a in a down right now. But mm. um, yeah. How old is he now? He is uh, two, almost three in October. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And how old is your oldest? So, um, yeah, some listeners know, so I'm not, I have four kids. So the first one is my bonus son. He's 11. Um, the second one is eight. The third one is, um, seven and our daughter is two and a half. She will be three in November. So very close to your second son. Yeah. 
And um, our first kid um, together, he was premature. He was born 25 weeks and one day. He was 800 grams. Um, it was very unexpected. And um, actually, maybe also for the listeners to know, I found you through um, Parents of the Netherlands, which is a yeah a social me or an Instagram page that introduces different styles of parents, different types of families in the Netherlands. And um, you have single mothers, you have um, queer families, you have um, single fathers. I don't know. You have all kinds of families there. And um, you and your husband were one of the families that were introduced. And there you shared also your story about your son. And then I really wanted to find out who are you? Who is this woman? I need to get to know her. And then we found each other and we connected. So our son was born premature and he was born 800 grams and he already, my birth was, yeah, not what you expect, not what you hear. Um, so it was very tough. Um, I was already told while giving birth that he might die, that he might be disabled, that he might not make it, so on and so forth. So we spent like three months in the neonatology, so in, in the hospital, actually, in the intensive care unit most of the time. And he also had something with his intestines. So he needed um, to have a surgery and then he had a stoma. So he had an external, yeah, he was actually, I don't know for people who don't know it, it's like your intestines are externally. Um, then he had a stoma for some time and then, yeah, then they were worried that maybe they would have to cut a lot of his intestines, that um, he wouldn't be able to poop normally. Thankfully, this was not the case. So at one point he had a surgery again and um, his intestines were put back inside, let's say. And thankfully, everything went well, but we went through a lot of infections, a lot of different things. The surgery was just one of the things we experienced. And it was really like, you know, because I think I think things are changing, but I think people don't really speak about what does it mean to become a parent. It's always this, oh, you're pregnant, yay. Of course, it's nice. Of course, it's nice. I'm not saying you shouldn't yeah, be happy yeah. or you shouldn't congratulate. And I also don't want to just vent about it. No. But I think there are certain images that are very predominant in our society, in the media, also about birth, that birth birth hurts and you're going to break your waters and every, everywhere will be water and you will be swearing at your husband or your partner. It's a horrible whatever. movie. Exactly. There's so many hor horrible, wrong, stupid things around birth. And for me, of course, because I had a very good pregnancy and then suddenly... My, uh, yeah, my son was born 25 weeks and uh, we spent a lot of time in the hospital and it took a toll on us as a couple, as a family. Um, it's your first child. Yeah. Um, you have this little baby in an incubator. As you said, um, you worry all the time. You blame yourself. I was you blaming myself. It's my fault that this happened. I didn't protect him. Um, yeah, you have all kinds of things coming yes, uh, into a lot your heads. <laughs> yeah. And um, the unknown and then the roller coaster, you know, one day he's fine. Then three hours later, he's not. He has an infection. So it, yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a tough start into motherhood, let's say. I mean, of course, I was a bonus mother before, but yeah, then there was a different way of coming to motherhood as giving birth to a child. Definitely. Kid also full time. Yeah. So, yeah. And on, on top of that, besides that, he's, so little yeah you know? you're also you also just like you said you also just became a mom biologically so you still have all those hormones yeah sleepless nights you have everything there are a lot of things happening to you as well and on top of that there's this 
medical crisis you're in the middle of and that you didn't expect and uh, yeah that is definitely a lot to handle yes yes very much very much yeah and then you have to deal with all these terms and um at that time my dutch was not very good my partner speaks very good dutch but of course some doctors were just talking in dutch all the time you know and they were really really negative they were really like your kid won't make it he will die there was no positivity the nurses were very amazing but the doctors not they were just looking their statistics you know and um before the surgery they told us we've operated 10 kids in the netherlands nine of those kids died um one made it he's much it was in a much better condition than your kid so your kid will also probably die but let us know you want to um, operate or not so there was a lot you know and we were like no of course we're going to operate and then he came when they took him to bring him into the surgery they told yeah. us kiss your son goodbye because you might not see him again Oh that was like, gosh. I don't know, six days into motherhood. And when he came back and he was alive, the doctors freaked out. That was already for them like, who is this child? Who are these parents? So then we became a little bit more interesting for them. Also, of course, for their research. But yeah, and then many more things happened. But um, yeah, that was the beginning into motherhood. So it was, Oh my God, that is horrific. Yeah. I'm literally, I'm about to choke up because that is, <laughs> how can you tell that to someone? <laughs> Yeah, they were very like, you know, looking their statistics. They didn't want to give us too much hope. Um, yeah, I, I get and, that. Yeah. They want to be realistic. And the fact that they told you you might not see him again and they came, came back with him alive and well is, of course, a blessing. But that it, one thing I've noticed, which I'm sure you have uh, as well with being in a hospital a lot, I thought that people know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> in the hospital, which for the majority of the time, it is the case. But when it comes to social interaction and when it comes to um, working off protocol, mm. there's, a lot, there's a lot to be done there. And um, like I was saying, you have to become a doctor and a nurse. Like you really have to advocate for your kid and I was not prepared for that as well. Like in, in while you're, you kind of just want to be led and carried by all these medical professionals, but you have to like rise up and take a stand. Like, no, I don't want this. Yeah. I want that for my kid. And, and you really have to develop a way of, I don't know, of becoming an authority. Of, yeah. Like, you have to be your own advocate actually. Definitely. And um, I, I, I learned through it. Like when I birthed my daughter, I was like, <laughs> fierce they couldn't do nothing with me it's gonna be my way or highway and i really don't give a shit if you want me to birth in five hours i'm gonna birth when i want to birth yeah yeah so i went there with a completely different attitude i had so much knowledge i had done so many things differently based on my previous experiences yeah but yeah you have to be really um that's why i also said on top of everything you have these medical terms you have lots of things around you that you're like okay what is that about now you know like yeah. okay what do i have to do you're in a foreign country so there's a lot that comes your way. And for me, really the nurses, they made a big difference. They were wonderful. They became our family. I loved spending time with them because I was obviously from the morning till the evening in the hospital. And they really made a difference with their tenderness, with their kindness, with, yeah. And, and that then kind of balanced the way the doctors were. And then at one point you just learned and, and you understood, okay, this is how the doctors think. This is how they are. 
Exactly. And also they changed. We had the doctor suddenly doctor crying on us and she was running away. And then she told us later that never happened to me. I never do that in my professional life. But our son touched her heart with his yeah. evolution, with what happened to him. And also we as parents, many of the of the doctors really, yeah, they, they really liked us. And then, yeah. So that was a little bit a piece of my story, how motherhood started for me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was an awful start. I've got to, got to say, but how is it now? Um, so how is he, he now? Um, he was monitored for two years, and then um, they told us that that will stop because there is no more funding to monitor premature kids further. It was different in the past, but then at one point um, it seemed like there was a bit of funding as again. So we were invited back to do some checkups. So he's fine. People who don't know it. And we tell them they don't believe it if they see him. The only thing he has is a big scar on his belly because uh, of the surgery, of course. So, yeah, there's nothing that you can say, okay, he was premature or something like that. I mean, whatever that also means, you know, I believe we're all different. So, yeah, I don't like so much this whole norm thinking. And also he had two epileptic attacks. So yeah. um, he had two very heavy attacks last year. And um, after the second one, he got on medication. So he's taking medication and he's since then also doing fine. We didn't have any other attack. That's but good. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's still part of his so journey. It, it's our journey with him. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But um, yeah, we. I think it's also important. I don't know how you do it how you deal with all these things, you know, because when our son was came out of the hospital, one of the doctors says to me, he's not a premature child anymore. He's a child. Mm. He is who he is, you know, and that's and also my partner, the way he is. Um, I didn't want to raise him in fear, you know, be like every time freaking out when he's somewhere or doing something or whatever. So we never projected also this on him. And we always looked at him as a, okay, as who he is, you know, he is, he is this person. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and and um, we, sh we he knows many things about his story, but we don't do it in a fearful way. But we are not raising him in fear, so that for us is very important to to yeah to, to do this. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. We um, well, he's still young. He's two, almost three. Um, so we don't teach him a lot about his condition, but of mm. course he. He experiences it. I mean, he knows he has to go to the hospital. Uh, sometimes we do have to do Christmas. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> like um, enemas, right? I don't know how enema in English. When you have to <laughs> clean his intestines, actually, yeah. to get out his yeah. poop, right? Yeah. yeah. And he knows, like, um, his term for it is tummy full. So he's, mm. if he says mommy or daddy, tummy full, that means that he can't, that he's, uh, he can't poop and you know, that we have to help him. Yeah. Um, so we'll say, okay, we're going to do a flush now because, you know, because we have to. And then he, he knows that. So he does kind of, um, he, did, he has adapted to it. And uh, thankfully he's wise enough as a two-year-old to understand, okay, well, if this happens, then this has to happen. Um, um, so, yeah, he's, he's pretty good with that. Um, we're always struggling with how to how to differentiate in in raising him and his brothers. Sometimes we have to kind of coddle him a little bit more. Mm. And, um, you know, he's he's 
a pretty temperament. He has a lot of temperaments as a little boy. And um, if he wants something, he really wants it. So sometimes we just have to navigate through seeing if it's, if it's because he's in pain, is it because mm. he is um, um, constipated or is it just him being him? Yeah. So that quite, yeah, it requires a lot of uh, navigating through, through that. Um, but after the, yeah, the worst part with him uh, was over, I did definitely have to come back to myself. Um, I did have um, trauma therapy mm -hmm. to really kind of, um, yeah, get over the whole hospital in, hospital out and surgeries and emergency surgeries and um, a lot of things going on, him being in pain, not being able to tell him what's happening. Yeah. And yeah, so there was, yeah, I did have to deal with that in, in through therapy and I think I definitely, me and my partner talk about this a lot, that we definitely, when he gets grows, grows older, um, when he's old enough to experience things sexually, we would then again have to have conversations with him because a lot of times they say when people who go through this at a young age, they might experience difficulties in that area because they've been touched in certain ways that they didn't want to, or, you know, mm. it's it might be difficult for them. So I think that will be a moment for us to then again, go into therapy, either it's just him or maybe the whole family, me with me and my partner and him. So yeah, we definitely have to approach his, um, his upbringing in a different way than his brothers. Yeah. And it's just a lot of communication between me and my husband and with him more and more as he grows older. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we're doing it uh, now. Thank you for sharing and being so open. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you. And Sharissa, you are also the founder and host of the podcast Top Mothers. And um, of course, I uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that. Not that we cannot talk about the other things further, but um, you founded this this podcast. And in your first episode, you said that you are upset, that you are upset with social media that portrays an image that you can have everything, a perfect body, a successful career, the greatest love relationship. And in addition to that, practice self-care. You said you're upset with society, upset with the social pressure that exists that forces mothers to constantly prove themselves, to show that they are more than just, in brackets, mothers upset with the predominant image of the Netherlands, because that's where we are both based, actually, as a part-time paradise where you pay lots of money for daycare and there is a lack of community support. And against this background, you said it's time for a reality check. So I would like us to talk a little bit about that. We've already touched up on some of these things in our conversation so far. So yeah, let's talk about that. And of course, also about Top Motors, um, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, like you said, I was definitely upset and I'm, I'm still actually. Um, by the time I was, um, uh, I did that first episode, I was 30 month, 39 months, 39, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, am I saying that? 39 weeks. 39 weeks. I'm like, there's something wrong with me, say. 
it felt like I was 39 months pregnant, but <laughs> 39 weeks <laughs> pregnant. And um, yeah, that whole year, because um, our son was born last December and that whole year I was asking myself, how am I going to do this? Like our third son was so welcome, but I was thinking to myself, how am I going to balance three kids with work? And um, that little prior before I, um, I got pregnant, I was working on a project. Um, I was going to launch actually a few months um, after I got pregnant and it was going to evolve a lot of um, travel events, late night things, um, festivals, all things that don't really work with a newborn. Yeah. So I was, I was just so confused. Like, um, so I called the, that project off, even though we had been working on, on it for a very long time. And it was really something I was really looking forward to. And um, I called it off and I thought, okay, if, if I'm having this problem, if I'm having so much trouble balancing my passions with, with kids, there must be more people. So I started talking about it and I noticed more and more women are like, yeah, I really don't know how I'm doing this. Uh, even kids, people without kids were asking, how are you doing this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how are you balancing? Mm-hmm. It's yes. work. And up until that moment, I just always answered, well, you just do it. You just go through the motion and you kind of, yeah, oh, you have, don't really have another option. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm just doing it, but I'm not doing it the way I would want to do it. It's not a conscious way of doing it. So I thought to myself, okay, you know what? We need to talk about this more. Obviously, women are doing it, but not the way they want to do it. There's a lot of pressure either to work to work full time. Yes, and of course, Netherlands is known as the part-time paradise um, where women work part-time um, and the men, the man usually works full-time in a traditional uh, family or at least one partner works part-time and the other partner works full-time. And it's mainly because we have a very expensive um, daycare system. system. So instead of working full-time, you just take care of your own kids yeah. <laughs> a few days because it just saves money. Yeah. Um, and also, I think a lot of us just want to spend more time with their kids mm-hmm. instead of just, um, just seeing them after work or in, on the weekends. And that's a personal choice, of course. But I was kind of upset with the pressure on um, part-time moms. Um, I'm going <laughs> to, between brackets, moms who work part-time and, and are home uh, with their kids a few days. Moms who work full time, there's also a stigma on that. Moms who are who are stay at home moms, nothing, everything is judged. Every situation, there's some kind of stigma, and and there's definitely. I was also upset with the fact that you kind of, um, especially now, women are doing so much better in in academics. They're like uh, diploma after diploma. We're doing so well, and then we. Um, Hit the the how you said arbeidsmarks, uh, the employment market. Yeah. Um, then you go out the job market. The job market. <laughs> the job market. 
you go out after your studies to to find a job and you think, okay, well, I'm on my way to the top now. I can make management management uh, uh, position or whatever you're you're aspiring to be. And then motherhood hits, and it's a totally different ballgame. And no one prepares you for that. They just want you to work, 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 and forget about motherhood being a natural experience and being, uh, especially in the beginning when they're so young, being a period of taking care of someone and making sure that person is a valuable asset to society, as in has emotional intelligence, has um, uh, compassion for for the people he lives with. Um, they kind of move that to the side. Like you just, you had a kid, okay, three months after you're back to work and you should perform and make sure this country does well economically. And so there's a lot of distancing from nature as soon as motherhood hits. And that really upset me. And I felt like we need to revolutionize that. We need to look at motherhood a different way. I like that you said that you are raising the next generation. You are actually raising the workforce of the system we live in. Yeah. um, I always, there's this term reproductive work, right? Reproductive labor, which is labor, which is work. But it's it's unpaid um, or barely paid. It's unrecognized. It's undervalued. It's gendered. It's racialized. And also what you said, you know, the one is that you see, you see if somebody, oh, let's say on social media, oh, she got a promotion. She's now the associate director or she's the manager or she's whatever. She opened her own business. But you don't see what is happening in your house behind the four walls that a mother had a sleepless night. She's super tired, still struggling with hormones, with her body, with, okay, making food, bringing the kids to to daycare, going to work pretending nothing happens because she cannot bring her motherhood into work because then she's like, oh, her again, the mother. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's fine if people share pictures of their guinea pigs uh, during, I don't know, I had a, in in my previous job, we had this uh, WhatsApp chat and there was a person sharing all the time pictures of her animals, guinea pigs actually. And I felt I cannot share a photo of my child because then it's like, oh, the mom again, whatever, you know? So I think there's really a lot that needs to be changed. And I feel like all these life making activities, because as we're giving birth, we're raising the children. Um, they're, yeah, they're not valued in in the same that they should be valued. And they're even called, uh, there's a feminist, uh, Federici is her name. She says this, I mean, she's one of them that she says is the work of love because we women, we feel this love and the care it's natural to us, you know, or it's women's work. Um, and yeah, it is, there's just so much wrong, you know, and of course women, we we fought for being able to vote and go to work. But again, I feel the system has made it in a way of that. If you don't want to work because you don't want to, it doesn't mean every woman or every person wants to work. You kind of have to, because sometimes your husband's salary or your partner's salary is not enough. And then you must work and you have to deal with everything else that that comes with it and um yeah and i also feel you also mentioned this i think in, no you do in one of your podcasts this community um the community i think you mentioned suriname right where yeah, you yeah. feel there is much more community when it comes to raising children there people are much more child friendly and yeah. then um living in a system that is very individualized that uh, 
this is not my problem. It's her problem. She has to figure it out. You know, <laughs> there is not much of community. Um, and yeah, there's, there's so much. And I find it really important that we start talking about things. Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. like you said, it's um, research shows that the Netherlands is one of the most individualistic countries in Europe. And there are a few other yes. countries in in, the, in Europe that kind of have the same uh, culture, but definitely Netherlands is one of those um, that really stands out in that in that area. So the part time paradise that comes from something. It's we don't have a lot of us. Some people do, but not a lot of us have the grandparents or the the a neighbor or the neighbor's friend's cousin who's always around mm -hmm. and can take a, take care of his children or you could uh, drop by someone and say hey here are my kids i'm away for an hour because there's an emergency there's not a lot of that and um because we don't have that we're not i'm not i'm i don't think we're going to change the whole culture <laughs> i'm not you know ideologically said that way i would love that but i don't think it's going to happen anytime soon but i do think we have because we have this culture we have to kind of find another way to make this possible for mothers who for career-minded mothers to be able to to balance those things and for moms who aren't career-minded for them to be able to take care of their children um in a way that's still financially attainable for that family or um, and if you love working full time, you and your partner, that's that's great. You go ahead and do that. But I think there, we as mothers definitely have to be carried more into into those decisions and not be able, not be seen as a disadvantage in in any of those situations. Whether you're a working mom or not working mom or a full time working mom, yeah. And I think we have a lot. We have there's a lot to to be. Um, to be developed there yes and I'm, I'm gonna move now to a question that i want to ask much later but i want to ask mm -hmm. it now because when listening to your podcast i feel that through the guests that you're inviting the questions you're asking the topics you're addressing you're also showing us your own healing journey and also your own uh let's say anger and doubts and uh, questions that you have so how has the podcast changed you and where has it taken you until now and and you said already now I'm more pessimistic that things will change, but do you have hope? Do you have, yeah. Like what has happened so far? Yeah. I think, um, I think there's definitely more awareness. Um, like I talk to a lot of mothers on, on and off the podcast about this topic. It literally just follows me around. It was, we were on a date night the other night and I got talking to the restaurant owner about this topic. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was showing me pictures of her son. She's like, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard uh, to combine these things. So it just follows me around, which makes me feel like, okay, I'm definitely on a mission here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you're, you're definitely right. It was the podcast has definitely been part of my, my healing journey. And my, it was like, it was kind of a quest, like I'm going to find answers mm -hmm. now. Uh, and I hope that listeners will find answers for themselves. And uh, during this season, I definitely found that I've been less apologetic about being a mom and a working mom. So if I would be on a call with someone and they would hear my kids, I'm like, yes, that's, that's my kids. You know, those are my kids. 
I'm a mom too. Yeah. You know, that, that just, it should be a given that you can hear them because I have them. Or if I have, if I have to be somewhere with my kid at say the hospital or something else that comes first. And yeah, so I would say being a lot less apologetic and talking about it more. Like we said at the beginning communication, I started talking to my partner more about it. Um, why, why is this so hard for me and what, how can he help? And I've actually made the decision to stay home with the kids for a year and a half, just to be able to kind of come back to myself. Like as we talked about, it's been a very rocky period with mm-hmm. our second child. And um, ever since I went back to work, it's just been go, go, go and uh, go, go, go have a third child and go, go, go. So for next year and a half, I'm just going to be home with the kids and work on things that are truly passionate that I'm truly passionate about uh, that might not bring in money yet, but that I could at least work on something that gives me energy and I can still be home with the kids to enjoy these years because they're going to go by so fast. And before I know it, the youngest is at school. And um, I just want to experience these years. And I think that's what, how the podcast mostly influenced me that I'm now giving myself permission to enjoy motherhood. Mm. Not feel like, like I have to excuse myself for being a mom. Yeah. Yeah. I also like this about your podcast In one of the episodes, I don't remember the, the name of the person you spoke with, but she also had lost her first baby because it was born premature. And I think you could hear your baby in the background making sounds. And I thought, this is wonderful, you know, like this is life. And then I think in your first episode where you were almost about to give birth, I think your partner had COVID, right? And one yeah. of your kids and like you shared all this on, on the podcast. And I was like, fantastic. We need more of that. We don't need the perfect mother, this image of everything is great and there's silence and nothing happens, you know? And even now that we talked, your phone rang, it was the daycare telling you something about one of your kids. So this, I think it's great. And, and I'm so happy to see that there is more of that, you know, that more of us speak, show also the nasty side of it, the pain, the sadness, the struggles. And um, be, maybe for me, because in the Netherlands, I'm a, a foreigner, so I don't have my family there. I had, of course, everything built from the ground, friendships and community. And I have many people around me who are in the same situation like me. So we have really created this that I would like to see more, not just um, if you are an, an immigrant to a country, that we have this, okay, we were all sick one day. So my friend made us a chicken soup and she brought it for us to, to, to eat it, right? Or we pick up each other's children or we take one of the kids because the other one has to do something. Um, th- there's a lot that we do a lot of this, you know, uh, my partner and I, we went to Greece with our daughter for a wedding a month ago and we couldn't take the boys with us. So they stayed with, with two different friends, you know, and there has to be more of this, like, as you described earlier, there has to be more talking about things, but also more action that we really help each other, that we don't judge each other. Oh, let's you said, look at this mom. She works five days a week. Yeah. How is this possible? Like I have a friend, she works five days. She has two kids and the daycare is judging her. What do you mean? You're going to, really? they're going to be here for five days a week. And I'm like, this is horrendous. Like this is none of your business. And I mean, you're the caretakers of these two kids. How can you judge their mother? Right. Yeah. And uh, the guild or oh, she's a stay at home mom. Like the other day I was talking to a mom and uh, I had just met her. So I didn't know. And I asked her, Hey, what do you do for work? And she says, I don't work. Uh, I'm at home. And I silenced, but I didn't silence because I was judging her. I just silenced because I thought, 
this is so nice because she said it like in a really nice way. So it wasn't any looking down on her. It was actually a moment of admiration. But of course, she felt immediately she had to apologize to me. And she she said immediately, um, but it's a lot of work, you know, and it's very tiring. And I felt so bad because I felt like, oh, my God, I gave her this impression or a lot of people have must have given her this impression. So I'm adding to the list while my silence was actually a moment of admiration because she was so content in expressing it. And of course, then I explained it to her. But yeah, we have there has to be more of, of solidarity between among us, let's say. Yes, yes, definitely. And and like you said, there's this underlying stigma. Like she she must have heard it from a couple of people. Yeah. Feel judged. And um yeah, that, that's such a shame. It's yeah. such a shame that in, in any of our choices we feel that guilt. And yeah. that definitely has to stop. Yeah. And Sharissa, now we are going to another topic that I also think very few people talk about, at least for this one, I was definitely not prepared. <laughs> um, and that is love after kids, like our love lives, our relationships, whatever they look like. Yeah. Um, what do you have to say? And uh, yeah, what is your experience with regard to that after uh, becoming a mom? And I know you made an episode with your husband. I haven't listened to that one, I have to admit. Yeah. No, so there is one. And, and, and I read some of the comments on your Instagram. Yeah. But share a little bit with us on this topic. <laughs> yeah, love after kids. I don't know. Is there some mythical country where where that's still <laughs> where that exists? <laughs> um, no, we we definitely try. We um, we no. I don't think anyone was prepared. We just assumed, oh, we're gonna have a kid and we're gonna love it, and yeah. it'll be great. And you just forget. Oh yeah, we have to love each other too. <laughs> There still has to be time for us together. And what I found, especially after that episode with my husband, is that there's a lot of, again, there wasn't a lot of communication about what was going on and how we were experiencing um, parenthood. And that made that we just had assumptions that either one of us didn't want to be intimate or, or, uh, I spoke about him about um, to him about um, being financially dependent dependent on him because I work part time, and there were a lot of assumptions back and forth. I think about um, yeah how you view the other person um, after parenthood. I, th I think especially as moms, our body changes, so you can feel very conscious about that. There's just less time for each other, so when you do. Like half the time for each other, you just want it to be fun. So mm -hmm. um, you don't really talk about serious things. Like, do you do you still find me attractive? Um, well, how do you find our love life at this this moment? Yeah, that's the really important conversations that were natural before you had, or at least I'm assuming they're natural, before you had kids, um, they just don't come up anymore. And it's, um, it's, funny when you do finally have that conversation that it 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 kind of brings a lot of ease like you have answers to questions that first were only in your head and if you would just ask them out loud you could just have a normal conversation about it and yeah I think the insecurities that I had a lot of insecurities without knowing like mm. because I didn't ask those questions and knowing yeah was so much easier than having those unanswered questions. But how have you guys 
been navigating because four kids, that's, that's how, I suppose you don't have a lot of time either. I think I can write a book about it because we've been through so much. Like we've been through a lot, a lot, a lot as a couple. Yeah. And it was also that, um, so we met, of course, then I became a bonus mom. Let's say that is still a thing on its own. It's, it takes a lot of learning, negotiating, different parties are involved. There's a different judgment that comes with being a bonus mom or a stepmother, the more negative term, right? Stepmothers are always evil. Look at all the fairy tales. <laughs> Also yourself, like, what am I? Am I a friend? Am I a mother? You know, there's a lot that you need to negotiate. It's a hard, then, of course, it's a hard uh, decision, I suppose. Yeah, I think I have to make another episode on this one. I haven't done it yet. You do, you do. Um, but it's, I think, a very important topic. Um, and then, of course, after, not of course, after one year, I was pregnant. And then we became parents after a year in the way I described earlier. And then when, when our son was six months old, I was pregnant again. So we had another baby. And after that, hell broke loose so then we went through I think a lot then everything came out because I think until that time we were like kind of in the romantic mode or survival mode or whatever mode and then yeah and then many things happened so there was a lot and um yeah many things and and I could mention tons of things right now actually <laughs> but um one of the things that I also want to say is um one of my neighbors uh she had a daughter uh, I think a little bit after I had my daughter and then I met her in the elevator after, I don't know, a month or something. And I was like, Hey, how's it going? How was your birth? And she says, she was so angry, angry, upset. Maybe the way you were angry when you recorded that episode, she was angry, like furious. And she says to me, I thought birth is hard, but what is even harder is having the baby being the mother and not being taken care of, being left behind. Because now it's all about the baby and it's like, I don't exist anymore, you know? And it's like, I'm still a person. I suffer. I have pain. She had uh, uh, nipple infections. Um, you know, she, she went through a lot and this is normal. And uh, I think we can vent here. For, and we don't want to vent. We want to just talk. We also vent, <laughs> but we also want to be open about things. And of course, there's beauty and, 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 and not uh, nice things. But she was, she was really, uh, she was really kaput. She was just, yeah. and, and I don't think we talk enough about that, you know, and I always say, um, birth is sacred and yes, we are giving life. And of course you need to look after the baby, but you also need to look after the person who birthed the baby. You know, that person needs care. That person needs love. That person needs, you know, go and cook for the person who, who gave birth, call them, ask them, how are you? Don't always ask, how's the baby? One of my yeah. friends, she told me, I will only ask you how you are, not your baby. Then maybe later I will ask about the baby. Yeah. So I think there's a lot. And of course, as a couple, you need to renegotiate your roles because especially after your first kid, before you had a lot of time together, your sex life probably was amazing. You could do it everywhere and anytime you wanted. And you had three hours to talk about things and have a long <laughs> breakfast on the weekend and go to festivals and parties and blah, 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 blah. blah. And then suddenly oh, okay, now everything is a bit more restricted, which is okay, right? But it's something you need to renegotiate. You need to see, okay, how can I make this work again? And I don't think there's a lot of guidance on it and, and a lot of people also talking about it. And uh, I think no, it's, I it's think, really important, yeah. Yeah, we kind of expect it to come naturally, like um, like the love for your child a lot of times, not in, not in any case, not in every case, but a lot of times sort of come natu comes naturally. So you just assume, like, as a couple, if you if you even have a, 
a partner as a couple will just naturally navigate this. And if it, we naturally have uh, less intimate moments and we naturally talk less and eventually that will naturally divide you as a couple and Mm -hmm. grow apart. And that's just something, um, yeah, that we have to be aware of that, you know, some couples just, just don't make it because they don't work together, but a lot of times we just forget to work on the relationship and that, and that in itself kind of ends the relationship, which is, which is a shame because it doesn't have to be that way. And um, I think it was great when you were sharing the story about your friend, I think it was great that she was upset that she wasn't taken care of because yeah. I, I first became a mom. I, I assumed that I wasn't going to be taken care of. I assumed everyone yeah. was going to be there for the baby and that, uh, that it was all about the baby. So I wasn't even in that state of, oh, wait a minute, why isn't anybody taking care of me? And um, I got to say, definitely first, my when I first became a mom, my mom came to stay with us for a few days and uh, she helped during the nights and she cooked. And um, so that's that was really a blessing. Um, and she, every now and then she would drop off some food. Uh, but we didn't live, really live close by. So this was she couldn't do this a lot. So she was really happy when she could help us in any way. But any other cases when friends came by or when other people came by, I just assumed that they came for the baby and to hold the baby and to, and I think that assumption we as women assume that we're not going to be taken care of. We, we don't even think about that. We think, okay, motherhood, we think, okay, so I'm caring. Um, if I, if you go to the hospital, you got to, um, pack a bag for the baby you go you this and this and this oh yeah and i need some i need a pajama or something and a toothbrush but the biggest part is for your baby and after when you come home do you have this for the baby do you have this for the baby do you have this for the baby and we forget about that whole part that we just became a mom and what do we need after that but that's partially because no one like you said no one talks about that part and like the same goes with relationships. No one talks about the after the birth part, after the baby is here. But what about after? Like sometimes I didn't, I I read somewhere, I heard somewhere that we have to ask what we want. It's not unromantic if you have to tell your partner what you need because else you're just gonna assume um, he he's gonna give you things, and yeah. when he doesn't, or he or she when your partner doesn't you get angry but you never ask for it and he can't he or she can't can't give you what you didn't ask for so again that communication you have to sometimes ask for uh, definitely as a mother um, you can't always give you have to ask for for whatever it is you need if it's a glass of water because you're thirsty because of because you're breastfeeding or um, a massage because you've been on your feet all day or just an hour for yourself, which can be feel like a vacation sometimes. Yeah, ask. And and it's cliche, but ask and it is given. And and if it's not given, you gotta make sure it is. Because um, at at some moments we as mothers are the ones who have to take care of ourselves. Yes, self-care. Yeah. Which we also have to fight for to be which we also able have- to practice self-care. <laughs> Definitely. And I, yeah, I, I'm hoping that will definitely change, that there will, 
in Western society, they'll will find a way to to take care of mothers more, and um, and that we don't have to fight for it anymore. And it, it's a little bit more natural, <laughs> like just as natural as how people are taking care of the baby um, that we are also uh, uh, taken care of, and we don't have to beg for it or yeah. slam doors yeah. <laughs> to get it. And Sharissa. Do you have a memory in your life, doesn't have to be related to motherhood, that you cannot forget and that had a huge impact on your life, who you are or how you do things or how you think? Or uh, Yeah, definitely, actually. There's, there's one that comes to mind that is definitely about motherhood that would be one, um, one that sent me to trauma, to trauma therapy that was just one um one scene that i kept repeating in my head that um i was standing next to uh, efron that's the name of our second child his bed and a nurse was coming in and she, they had to um take blood for some tests and uh, he was so small i think he was about four months and uh, i couldn't explain to him what was happening it was in the middle of the night and he was so upset because he was uh he was trying to sleep and they came came in it was the second night that they came in, in the middle of the night woke him up to take some blood so um that was an image that kept replaying in my head like i couldn't explain to him he was so upset he was so scared and um that really had an impact on me to feel so powerless basically like i could not stop them from doing it because they had to I don't know why I had to do that in the middle of the night, though. Mm. I actually literally asked them why they didn't know that themselves. And he was so small, so I couldn't explain that to him. And yeah, at that moment, I felt really powerless. And and it was one of the moments where I thought, okay, I, I don't want to feel that way anymore. I have to advocate for my kid and for mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. And it took me a while to process that. and it, But it did make me like I said, rise up more. Like I, even if I need to take a stand in a hospital place where I felt like I should just surrender and, and do whatever they say, if I should again, go against that kind of authority I had, that's what I felt like, then I can, uh, then I can do that anywhere. <laughs> then I can ask for things anywhere uh, outside this hospital. So I think that made me a little, a little bit more brave, I think. And um, I was going to briefly touch up on that because there's another, another image that, that definitely uh, changed my overall uh, vision of life. Is, um, that was our first, uh, my first day of elementary school in the Netherlands. Um, we moved here uh, when I was six. And I think we landed uh, one day and the next day I went to school. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> my father didn't want us to miss anything and it was it was the beginning beginning of school year so we hardly i think we missed maybe a week or something but he didn't want us to fall behind so we went to school the next day and um i remember him um, standing with me in front of the school outside of the gates and uh, he kind of kneeled down to my height and he was like well um you're gonna go to school now and but I don't want you to think, you know, we're a black family. And he was like, I don't want you to think that um, you're any less than your your peers, like the kids in your class. You and don't make them think that you're any less. Mm. And um, that really, I remember that 
like I'm now I'm 23 and I remember that yes. <laughs> six years old and um, that was always a trigger for me to work very hard but at the same time I realized later um, through therapy actually that it was also a, a trigger for me to feel less actually because I felt like oh I have to prove myself like mm-hmm. I'm already I'm already one point behind because I have to make sure they never have any ground to stand on to say oh you're less than me so it was in a way way, uh, something that forced me to work harder like prove myself and and it made me feel like I had to prove myself so it was um yeah kind of contradictory and um I have peace with that now because it was like it, it gave me power um and at the same time I now realize that that I can prove myself, but I don't have to. <laughs> there's not, there's no pressure from anyone else. Um, yeah, pushing me to show my show my worth. I'm already working, and so is everyone else. Yeah, so that was a big change. That was a big change in mentality for me. My silence is not a bad silence. <laughs> no, no, but I'm wondering for you now. Um, a memory, you mean? Yeah, or. First, what you said, it's, um, I mean, now you opened for me another topic that is very close to my heart and that's racism. And that is also something that, yeah, we speak about on SALT. And um, you you also spoke about this thing of always feeling we have to be better. We have to work harder in order to be accepted, in order to not be seen as the bad foreigner or the bad immigrant or whatever. So, um, It is something that um, me also growing up in Germany to a Greek family that my father also told me. So, of course, um, there are different forms of oppressions and different forms of racism. And it's also a topic that um, is very close to me and uh, that until today I struggle with. Also, this idea of you feel like you're too much or you are not enough. So always this kind of thing. And, and, And the other way, the other day, a friend of mine sent me an image and I think, yeah, with not enough, not too much. So there were two circles and then they were meeting in the middle. And then this is you, you know, like, so, and it's something that for me, it's very important in the way I raise, um, we raise our children because also my partner, he's Dominican Argentinian. Uh, he also experienced a lot of this. Um, also he's a Brown man. So as I said, the more different you are from the norm whatever the norm means like white supremacy is real so yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the the more things you experience so we are um very conscious in in the way we raise our kids and we talk yeah. a lot about these topics and this is also one reason why I like Amsterdam a lot because it's a city with all kinds of people and I of course there's racism and there's sexism and all these things but I still feel it's it's a place where good things are happening, you know, and there is a lot of tolerance and acceptance and openness and talking about things. And of course, still, there's a lot of work to do. But yeah, you 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 shared a memory in addition to all the other things you shared today um, that to me, it's, it's, yeah, it's very close to me. And I hear these stories from so many of my friends, you know, that yeah. um, and, and how it influences us. And you say you were only six years old, but you still remember, of course you do, because it's something so crucial it's about you it's about who you are you know in all the way and um i really 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 hope that our kids um will yeah will not even i mean i I see already that the 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 younger generation they don't accept this shit you know and i hope that our kids also being 
from mixed um, couples, like, you know, um, more and more of this is is, is happening. My brother also, his wife is from the Philippines, that it will really change because it's, it's so traumatizing. It is. I mean, I was just imagining you now, you go on a plane, you arrive in the Netherlands, completely different country. So different from wh- where you were before, and you yeah. next day you have to go to school, and then your father tells you this, and you are yeah. six. Yeah. So it breaks all your innocence. It yeah. just does something to you, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, how do you deal with this with your children? Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Um. I think it's it's hard because we're we're a mixed family as well. Yeah. My husband is Dutch, born and raised, and. Yeah, we're at the because our oldest is five, uh, almost five now. Um, so he's he's just went to school for a year. So he's starting to realize there's there's a difference in color or in in culture, and like he would say, um, Nainje is one of the uh, TV characters here. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a um, not a rabbit, no a rabbit. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just for people who don't yeah. know, yeah, a rabbit. Yeah. Exactly. A bunny. A bunny. Um, and uh, Nainche is white. Yeah. And or mi- Miffy, I think they call it in, in the outside of Netherlands. Um, um, and she has a friend who is brown. Yeah. And um, I think he referenced someone in his class. And um, he was someone who's brown colors and uh, Miffy is brown colors. So he's like, oh, they could be uh, brother and sister. and Nainji, who's white, could be a brother and sister with another kid who's white. So he's starting to notice that there's there are difference, there are differences, and he's starting to match colors. Like if you're two brown people go together and two white people go together. And I don't know if that's just natural or if that's from school, it's kind of secretly <laughs> put there that that this kind of thinking. But I'm I try to tell him that there are all different sorts of people. And of course he sees that his, his mom and dad are different type of person, different type of people. So we're, yeah, we're slowly getting into that. We haven't really touched upon it, but I honestly don't know yet how we're going to do this. And um, luckily there's his school is a lot of, there's a lot of diversity in his school. That's mm. definitely because we live in a pretty, uh, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, uh, we used to live in Amsterdam as well, so it was a big shift for us. Yeah. Um, but it, we we very consciously chose a school that has a lot of diversity in kids because I didn't want him to to grow up in in an environment that only had white kids because I didn't want him to be the different one. I was always the different one at school, so I didn't want him to have that. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that by choosing that environment for him, that environment of diversity of seeing all sorts of, all sorts of teachers, all sorts of role models, and all sorts of peers, that he'll he'll grow into the the child we would like him to be, just acceptant and and open minded, and and it goes for the rest of his brothers as well. Yeah, that's definitely something I, I uh, yeah, we stand by. Yes, thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. And I mean, I could talk forever. Yeah, I, I, t- I feel like we can. And I would love no, we can for I sure. Lo- <laughs> I would love to, but I think you have some editing to do. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think I will do a lot of editing to this conversation. It's going to be raw. 
<laughs> Maybe just the phone call, I will cut it out. Yeah. Um, and who has been your soul, Sharissa? Who inspired you or who, who is so important for you? doesn't have to be yeah. one person, but... I think um, this is going to sound so cliche, but definitely my mom. Mm. I think um, uh, my mom and later on, I realized my grandmother, because my mom um, has always worked full time. She's She was a teacher, like I said. And in Suriname, that means something completely different than here. You work there, you work like a half day there from 8 to, I believe it was 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1 p.m. <laughs> Not a.m. Yes. <laughs> 1 p.m. Uh, so that's that you still have enough time for your kids. And here it meant that she would work in another city. So she would leave at, I believe, 6.30 was her train. So she would get up at five, have her train at 6.30, and she would come home at around seven at night. And uh, my sister would help with uh, with preparing dinner and we would eat and she would, you know, do parents things, mom things that I would just, I just then seem thought it was normal, you know? Um, so she's always worked very, very hard. Wow. And that really showed me that one, it's important to work hard because she had a lot of, how do you call it? Um, it made her feel good. Independence or? Well, independent, but it also was a lot of, um, she had rewarding. Of, yeah, rewarding. It was rewarding and satisfying. And uh, she worked with uh, kids and she helped them grow and she mm. taught them how to read and she taught them how the world works. So she was, it gave her a lot of satisfaction. And I think the way she spoke about her kids, she called them every night at dinner, something happened or some kid learned something or she taught some kid something. So it was very, she always had a lot of joy in her work. And I, I definitely admire that. And my grandmother um, raised eight kids. So she had eight and she raised seven. One sadly died away, uh, died yeah. at a young age. But I never realized how, how, much, how much work that is to raise seven kids. And I was actually too late to ask her, how did, how did you do that? She had passed away just before I realized, like, I want to, I want to know, I want to, suck up this wisdom of of she was almost 100 of a hundred year old woman who who had this whole life and raised all those kids and uh, even as a grandmother and as a great grandmother was helping raising kids and um, yeah i think um yeah there's just a lot of admiration for those hard-working women who still um have time to help others raise their kids and help pick up others and and very selflessly and that's I did learn that I don't want to do that because I think it was a little too selfless I think if you need I think we realized that we need a little bit more selfishness if we even need to call it that but yeah I think that's that's very admirable and um, yeah that's why definitely they definitely inspire me in that way and you're a part of this of the lineage you're yeah. part of them they're part I, of you i hope i hope so i hope i'll i'll make them proud in that way you are yeah <laughs> thank, totally. you. thank you and to whom do you want to pass the salt what do you want to share i mean you shared a lot today so maybe you want to add a little bit more yeah yeah um yeah i think it's i think it's the last um the last episode the last podcast episode 
was named um, Protect Your Dreams. And I think I would definitely advise that. I think there's a lot of, speaking of motherhood, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. What kind of mother do I want to be? How will I raise them? How will I be in a relationship with my partner? How will I balance work and and motherhood and all all the other roles that you um, that you play in this life? But I think you should definitely protect your dreams because that's part of you. And we shouldn't forget as mothers that we're on this earth to still follow that purpose. There's, you were still put here to, to play that very specific, important role in this world. You know, it's like, like ants and bees, they all have this one role that if they don't fulfill it, there's, just, there's this puzzle piece missing. And we owe it to ourselves and the world to keep pursuing our dreams, to really protect them, no matter how, what other people say or no matter what happens, um, if we become mothers or not. And to, yeah, to really make sure that we don't forget that we are purposeful and that we deserve to fulfill that purpose. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. I would, yeah. I can add more, but I won't. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, no, I would love no. To. <laughs> no. <Not> to <laughs> so do you have another question for me? I mean, This is like the standard that I do in my podcast. What is your question for me? So yeah. Go with another question. Yeah, but, uh, well, you kind of touch upon it because uh, we were talking about racism and, you know, you talk about intersectionalism in this yeah. podcast. So I was wondering how that has impacted you as a, as a foreigner in this country in the Netherlands uh, and motherhood. How, how has that, has that in, impacted your motherhood? I mean, as a black mom, I realized there are, other things I struggle with as than a white mom, maybe. So I was wondering how, how has kind of balancing those two motherhood and, and being a nun born in Netherlands uh, citizen. Um, so you mean racism and motherhood? Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that, um, how, yeah, how do you deal with that? I feel quite good in the Netherlands, but it doesn't mean that I am, um, I'm not looking at at the whole at, at society as a whole. I'm a feminist. I'm uh, I'm a very critical person. I speak up, and um, there's a lot that we speak in our homes with our children. Um, things that, that we talk about, we talk about racism, and of course, the older they get, the more conversations you can have. I think we also started at the age of five, as you mentioned. Now, slowly, you speak with one of your children, your eldest, um, and we speak a lot with our kids about it because it has just influenced me and my partner so strongly in our lives. Um, and it has hurt us in, in, in many ways. And it's also nice that we found each other because we understand each other. He, I understand him. He understands me. And, um, we speak about it to our kids. So that's, um, really important to us. And I feel, and I know I wanted to say more things, but now I somehow went somewhere else. Um, I don't remember. I wanted to say something else too, but I don't remember right now. But I feel like, yeah, Amsterdam is, is a good place and a lot of good things are, are, happening with regard to that because also what you said the school our kids go to it's very mixed there i remember actually when our eldest son was born when the person from the Gigede, like the health institutes came to visit us because this is what they do here in the netherlands she said to me and she says um oh you are born in germany but you're greek and your husband is born in the dominican republic grew up in argentina is has is now here in the netherlands and your child is dutch and i was like what my child is dutch <laughs> Did you just say that? I mean, 
never anybody in Germany referred to me as German. Yeah. So I was like, wow, she sees my kid as part of the society, you know? And, yeah. and to me it was like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's part of the society, you know? And um, I, I, I raise my kids like this. You are many, many things. You are not just one thing. I'm so against box thinking and um, we are many things and we can be many things and we are what we want to be. Nobody can label us. And this is how I'm, I'm raising our children. You are what you want to be. You can be Argentinian, Dominican, Greek, Dutch, speak four languages, or you can just be Dutch if that's what you want. Nobody can put any label on you, you know. And of course, it's a constant fight, and it's a fight. I mean, it's it's a continuous conversation, let's say. But um, yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, and I wanted yeah. to say something else too, but I yeah, no, remember. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, definitely, because I think even now we're we're trying to be, um, you know, with gender fluidity and and everything we're trying to be as non-labely as possible yeah. but in that we're still labeling like yeah, one yeah. person is you belong with that box and so i think i think that's great that that you do that yeah that they can definitely they can feel at home where they want to feel at home and uh and be part of any society that they want yeah so i think you and your husband are definitely a great ex example I hope so. I mean, we are working on it. Yeah, <laughs> that you can. You, but you did it. You're living proof. You, you know, uh, settled in different places. So I think that's uh, that's yeah. I think that's a great example to to have for your kids. Yes, yes, yes. Because we understand certain struggles they might have, or they have based on our exactly. own experiences. Yes, and through that, you can also show much more compassion and much more understanding and. Yeah, this is definitely true. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Charissa, <laughs> we talked a lot. I don't even know how long this podcast episode is. I could <laughs> I uh, keep talking. And I also just remembered what I wanted to say, but I won't say it because oh, no. open another box. Maybe I'll tell you off record. You can tell me after. <laughs> exactly. So I always honor a woman at the end of the podcast. And today, actually, I want to honor you. I want to honor myself all the mothers and all the other people who are parenting, who don't use the label mothers. Yes. I yes. want to honor all of us for the work that we do because it's work. Definitely. And um, I hope, I really, really hope that this conversation um, and many other conversations that other people are having will make a difference, will make a change. So I want to thank everybody who is listening. Um, and if you feel like it, share this episode on your social media channels with friends with um relatives with work whatever and also maybe see for yourself um how you can show show more compassion and empathy towards mothers parents to yourself and uh, yeah if you want to reach out to Sharisa, i will share all her information of course on my instagram and social media and website and i'm sure Sharisa will be happy yeah so and, um yes Thank you so, so much for Thank being you. so honest. Something that is loved is never lost. I'm Stella Sagnari and this is Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast. Salt the Podcast.